Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Does Hamilton pay the highest property taxes in the province? Well, that's a point of contention at City Hall. We'll get into that. The largest job action in the last two decades is coming this week. Is an end to the contract negotiations between the teachers of the province coming anytime soon? And we spoke with Michael Andlar last week, the owner of the Hamilton Bulldogs, about his frustration with the City Council about the decision in the Lime Ridge Mall Arena. We're going to get Council's version of what happened also on the podcast today. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Right now, though, I want to talk about taxes, uh, which is always a hot topic, of course, with anybody, specifically property taxes, uh, because that's the one that hits home, obviously. I I mean, we get money taken off our checks on, you know, with federal tax and provincial tax, but property taxes uh, are are after-tax dollars. I mean, that's the money that's left after everything else, right? Your take-home pay. And then the municipality, whichever one you live in, uh, comes by and uh, says, okay, you know, we need this, this, and this, and this. Well, we're facing significant tax increases this year, as most cities are, by the way. Most municipalities right across the province uh, will be because of a number of different factors, and we're going to get into those in a couple of minutes. But uh, city councillors last week uh, seemed to express some concern about uh, what they feel is an unfair criticism that Hamilton is the highest taxed municipality in the province of Ontario. Uh, not surprisingly, they take exception to that and uh, tried to do some number crunching here uh, to uh, to try to impress upon us that uh, that Hamilton is not the highest tax. Uh, that may be well, you know, the, uh, an idea that's it's it's in the eye of the beholder, I guess, or in the pocketbook of the beholder when you start looking at stuff like this. Uh, but it's an ongoing argument, and uh, we do have some concerns here in the Hamilton area, maybe some unique things in the Hamilton area that are impacting property taxes. Uh, to get us into the discussion, uh, a gentleman who's uh, well-versed in all of this, he spent many, many years, of course, in municipal government uh, with Stony Creek and eventually, of course, became the mayor of the city of Hamilton not too long ago. He is, of course, former Hamilton Mayor Larry Deany, as he joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show. Larry, thanks for joining us. Good to have you with us today. My pleasure, Bill. Good morning. This is not a new argument. I mean, this goes back to when you and I were on council, probably goes back to as far as we've been paying property taxes. They were overtaxed and, and one of the highest taxed uh, municipalities. In fact, if I recall, right after amalgamation, uh, there was some sincere and, and people that would come before us as as taxpayers and residents and say, look, at, we're getting slaughtered here, and it's not as bad as it is in other cities. Uh, and we had to bear the brunt of that. It looks like this council is uh, doing the same thing. Nothing's changed much, has it? No, no, that's one of the conundrums, really, because um, people don't like paying taxes, but they like the services that the taxes pay for. And um, when we were on council bill, I remember we did a uh, we did a, a consultation with the public, um, uh, where we actually had town halls, and we did it. Uh, um, in terms of computers, even though the systems weren't as sophisticated as they are today, um, just to find out what people wanted in terms of uh, levels of taxation and also levels of service. And if taxation was going to go down, which services would they consider giving up uh, in terms of uh, uh, in terms of what we uh, provided as a city? And, of course, we found out, uh, and maybe we shouldn't have been surprised by this, that people wanted lower taxes and higher services. <laughs> that's the conundrum 
that counselors always find themselves in. Yeah, but that's a, there's an incongruity to that, isn't it? I mean, well, of course, property taxes, unlike federal tax and pr- provincial tax, is is really a, it's a, a laundry list of the services that the city is going to provide, and there's the price tag, and then it's divvied up, you know, according to the formula that that Impact gives us. But uh, if you want pay less, uh, there's an expectation you're going to probably get less. Well, and that's exactly it. And, of course, it's a complicated way uh, that the municipalities uh, set the tax rate um, um, and because it has to do with the assessment of your home and, of course, as prices go up and if you're above a certain threshold, that influences it. And, of course, the municipal levy, uh, that is the, the, the amount of uh, service that's provided by the uh, local government and the taxes that that implies. And, of course, we have a, um, a, a system here in, in uh, Hamilton called area rating where uh, tax levies are applied depending on the services your area receives. And that could um, be transit, it could be fire services, because they're not equal right across the whole municipality. Recreation, sidewalk, for example, in Ancaster a few years ago, uh, where they actually, the municipality actually clears sidewalks in front of people's homes, uh, they had a vote and they decided to keep the service and pay a little higher. Um, parkland is part of it, uh, snow removal, as I just said, uh, is part of it as well. And, and all of this is factored together and, uh, and uh, finally the, the final tax notice goes out with uh, whatever the increase might be. But the biggest culprit that people do not uh, even now um, understand, because if you talk to people about these formula, you know, their eyes glaze over. And that's the, muni- the, the provincial, rather, downloading that's happened to, uh, to us since amalgamation, uh, where the province says you've got to offer these programs and you've got to pay for them, and there's no two uh, ways about it. You must offer them. And so consequently, they impact the tax rate, even though uh, it's not the local municipality that necessarily um, wants those programs imposed on uh, the people uh, uh, that we service. And so all of those create... Uh, what we are in Hamilton, which is in the high end of tax uh, uh, rates, and and that, uh, according to um, to Mike Zagarek, the chief financial officer for the city, um, we have pockets of the city that are not as well off, and so as taxes go up, um, they are challenged even more, uh, and um, and um, that creates the problems that we've got. So even though we're in the middle of the pack, and I think the mayor is right when he says, you know, we're not the highest, we're not the lowest, we're in the middle. And we always saw that uh, when we were involved. Uh, we'd get these statistics as well. Even though we're in the middle of the pack, um, we are also disadvantaged because some folks just can't keep up. And if you're a senior on a fixed income or if you're uh, a low-earning individual um, but living in a home, uh, it, it, makes, uh, it makes it very tough. Here's the problem, though, and, and I saw some of the numbers that Mr. Zagarek and, and some of the counselors were bandying back and forth, and they're talking about percentage increases, etc. Uh, and and I, they're using that to justify the fact that, say, hey, we're not the highest, we're, not, we're kind of in the middle, as, as you've just articulated. But it's how much we're paying. I mean, the bottom line here is how much is it, are your taxes? Not did it go up 2 or 3%. It's it's big to begin with, and, and once you start adding on to that, uh, I can understand how people are getting pretty ticked off about it. Oh, of course they are, and 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 really they have a right to um, to become upset when we get that tax bill. But again, it's tied it's tied to services and it's tied to expectations. Like some of the people that are complaining, for example, um, that that our taxes are high. At least if you look at social media, if you read 
uh, people's quotes or the letters to, that go into the uh, into the editor are the very people that were clamoring for, for example, um, this uh, Red Hill inquiry, uh, clamoring for this judicial inquiry and applauding it. Well, that's a uh, up to uh, we're told a seven million dollar bill could have been handled in another way. I understand why people wanted to get to the bottom of that, but it could have been done um, as efficiently and maybe not as expensively if council had selected uh, different uh, different uh, uh, methods of, of getting to the bottom of that. But people wanted the highest service, the most transparent service, and there and there are benefits to that. And believe me, I attended both of the sessions, the public sessions that we recently had, um, uh, and and I think that that justice will do a very very good job. But it's the highest level of service with the highest tax bill, and so we need to be reminded of the fact that our services uh, are tied to our taxes, and and if we want to do things differently, then we've got to expect different uh, response from um, municipal government. And we've seen examples of that. Uh, I was in Calgary for Grey Cup, of course, uh, late last year. Uh, great trip aside from the game itself. But anyway, uh, the day we landed at the airport, they just had a big snowfall dump uh, the day before. And uh, as we were getting our, our ride from the airport to the hotel, I saw cars slipping and sliding all over the place. And I asked the driver, what's going on here? And he says, well, we don't sand our, our roads here. I said, in Calgary? He said, no. No, we're trying to cut expenses, and they don't—they don't sand, they don't salt, they do anything. You're on your own. I mean, they plow them, but that's as far as it goes. And we've experienced this as well. And winter clearing, of course, is a big part of that. Uh, when, when you look at property taxes, Larry, uh, if you say, okay, you know what, we'll let—you uh, know—I I forget even what the, the the barometer is right now, three or four centimeters, and they send the plows out, whatever the case might be. And they said we could wait till it's ten if you want. And pe- the resident says, no, no, we, yeah. we want Cadillac service. But we don't want to pay Cadillac prices, and well, and I understand that. I get that. Yeah, and and that's a great example because we lived that um, during the first term of the amalgamated council, where staff came in uh, aiming to reduce some of our expenditures, and they pointed out exactly that that here's a level of service that we think uh, we can offer to the citizens, which will be safe. Um, but but council uh, reacted to that because we were flooded with phone calls. And essentially, uh, the policy, unless it's changed over the last number of years, but I don't think it has, and witness the snowstorm we just recently had, where I think the city did a, a great job of, uh, of clearing not only main arteries, but also side streets. And I live in a little court, and they got to me the, the morning after, but they got to me. Uh, the policy, I think, is that, you know, within a day of the snowstorm, the roads should look after the snowstorm within a day or so, the same as they did before the snowstorm. I mean, that's a pretty high level of service. It can be achieved. It is being achieved. But, of course, you've got to send out a lot of, lot of personnel, which costs a lot of money to do that. And so, again, service is tied to what we pay for that service, and which is tied to, of course, the taxes that we pay in our municipality. Now, does that mean that we want to see our level of, of civic life reduced uh, for the sake of, of the dollar? No, but is there a sweet spot that's better than what we've got now where people are experiencing real hardship in terms of paying their taxes uh, that council should be able to find? And frankly, um, if, if I go by what I read in the papers and if I go by the comments that I read 
um, about counsel or from counselors uh, on social media or on, on other forms of media, they want to provide more. I mean, some counselors are talking about free bus service, for example. And as laudable as that might be, that will increase the cost of, uh, of providing that service. And, and I don't see very much talk about we need to reduce, we need to tighten our belts, we need to, uh, we need to find some efficiencies, which are maybe all code words for right-of-center political thinking, uh, but maybe it's the right-of-center uh, uh, fiscal approach that we should be taking to some of these programs as well. But there should be discussions, and I'll give you an example, uh, garbage collection. I mean, there's another service yeah. that needs to be provided. Uh, during this round of budget discussions this past year, uh, there was some talk about going to buy weekly garbage collection, and it got shot down right off the bat. Was, oh no, that's a, that's a service reduction. Yeah, but it's also you know that th- some of the counselors are arguing they're not going to save any money. Look, <laughs> the fact of the matter is, is if you're only doing it every two weeks, and and this is garbage by the way, the recycling still gets picked up. Uh, there's probably some cost savings there, but they don't seem to want to get down that road. Burlington did this a number of years ago. I talked to Mayor Ward about that, and she said the sky didn't fall when we changed. Uh, you know, we, there was no rat infestation, as some counselors were talking about. They just don't seem to, to, to want to embrace any ideas of actually trying to find some savings. Uh, and they can talk about a 3% raise. But when you look at the numbers here, uh, Hamilton taxes are higher than the provincial average. And, and salaries and, and income here is lower than the provincial average. So this, we're, we're up behind the eight ball right off the gut before they even t- you know put pen to paper to start doing any budget discussions. No, and, and that's another great example. And, uh, you know, Councillor Danko, um, the new councillor, was sort of championing this uh, every two-week uh, collection uh, supported by some other councillors, but, but rejected by the majority of them because it would be perceived as a, as a service reduction. Uh, frankly, I mean, I was one of the individuals who was very skeptical even about the one um, uh, bag uh, limit that we've got now, but as we get better at recycling, uh, and now there are only two of us in my family now, my kids are all gone, uh, but as we get better in recycling, I don't fill even one bag uh, of, of trash. Uh, I fill, uh, you, know, you know, paper and, and uh, other recyclables um, that don't go into that, uh, into that uh, one bag limit. And so I could easily accommodate uh, an every two week uh, uh, garbage pickup. But counselors are just concerned about being perceived as not offering the best uh, and highest services to their residents. I think residents would understand, especially if you tie it to the property taxes that we pay, they would understand that if we limit some things and are strategic and intelligent about what we limit, I think people would get that. You know, we've got some spiraling costs, Bill. I mean, we haven't mentioned social welfare and not that I'm looking for reductions in social welfare, but the provinces dump that on municipalities. And you used to make some very eloquent arguments that it's a very regressive way of of um, of uh, funding those programs on on the property tax base as opposed to the general tax base. Uh, I remember those arguments, but we're still at it, and the province is downloading even more. And they did that, you know, back in in uh, around the turn about 2000 or so and uh, and we're suffering from that so there's that uh we we have an aging population and darts there was something in the paper just the other day about darts increasing because the demand is increasing and it's increasing because there are more 
um, older people in our community with mobility issues, and they should be looked after. But that costs as well. I know, but uh, and we just we got to jump in here. We're just about up. Yeah. We can get down a long list here, but yeah. uh, I, I think the bottom line is that there's there's credibility on both sides here. That I think council has to do a better job of watching the nickels and dimes. It's not even so much as, as what we pay. It's what they spend their money on, I think, that bothers a lot of people. But we'll have to pick this up at a later date, Larry. As always, thanks so much for the time today. Pleasure. Former Hamilton Mayor Larry DeAnne. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Rotating strikes for elementary school teachers begin today. Uh, not Hamilton, but uh, many other regions of the province, and they're going to continue uh, through the rest of the week. And, of course, uh, we're talking, and we will talk, actually, with the uh, head of the uh, high school teachers uh, union as well because they're going to continue with their rotating strikes. It's not sustainable. I mean, this can't go on and on and on and on. Of course, the government did respond last week. Uh, Education Minister Stephen Lecce announced a program where parents who are having trouble because of daycare uh, can actually get some money from the government about that, and apparently there's been quite an uptake on that. Uh, what are the issues? Well, we've gone over those, and we will again a little bit later on, but the bottom line here is it's having an impact on families uh, who are you know, scrambling to find out what they're going to do with their kids, especially the younger kids. I mean, the teenagers, the high school students often can look after themselves. But elementary school uh, presents a whole series of other problems. Joining us to talk about this is uh, senior reporter for Global News, Dave Woodard, uh, who is uh, actually out and about and tracking uh, the response that's going on. Dave, thanks for the time. Good to have you on the show today. Yeah, thanks for the time. Uh, thanks uh, for having me. Well, here we are. I mean, we're okay here at Hamilton today, uh, but in the Toronto area, in the GTA, a number of students, of course, are here, there, and everywhere. Uh, what kind of response are you getting, and what kind of reaction uh, are you hearing from parents over the last couple of days as these things have started? Yeah, so 300,000 students, first off, are, uh, throughout the province are going to be, you know, not going to school today. It's Toronto, York Region, and Ottawa Carleton boards. Uh, where the teachers are all striking. What I'm hearing basically from parents is that uh, at this point, they, they're they mostly understanding of the uh, union's position. They they really do uh, think that they, they need to do something to get people back at the table um, so that they can get a, a negotiated settlement done. Now, that's admittedly because it's very early on in the process right now. This is the first time for elementary teachers for rotating strikes. Again, you know, Hamilton's not affected, uh, but pretty much everywhere else in the province is affected at some point this week. Uh, so I think more so than the OSSTF strikes, which has just been basically one day a week um, with rotating boards, uh, you're going to see uh, a much faster uh, time period where, where parents get frustrated. I was surprised by the immediate reaction as well, because in, in past uh, work stoppages, well, I think one was a, a lockout and there was a strike, and that was, goes back to the 1990s, of course. Uh, parents seemed to be upside down and sideways about this and saying, get back to work. And, and you know, there were actually some parents that were taunting the, some of the teachers on the picket line. I, I'm seeing some of these parents now actually bringing coffee and donuts to the picket line. So they, they seem to have a, a, a certain understanding of what's going on and, and, and a discussion of the issues. I don't know how long it's going to last, though, Dave. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, more so than coffee and donuts, I've heard some parents have said that they're going to take some of that money from the province that they're promising for uh, things like daycare and programming uh, and give it back to the teachers. I don't think I've ever heard that before in any kind of union situation. Uh, but you're right. I, I think that it, it depends on how long this lasts. It depends on, on how fast it gets around to, say, you know, the, the Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board 
having their uh, elementary teachers go on strike, you know, once a week or, you know, once every other week. If your kids are missing out on class and you're, you're uh, having to foot the bill for it uh, any more than just a few times, I think that's when people are really going to get upset about it. The other element to this, too, is, is you know, the other side. And, 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 and I'm, I'm trying to, you know, do some analysis here and figure, okay, uh, why, why are they on side with the teachers? Well, some of the issues that we've talked about, about classroom size and, and uh, some of the programs that have been uh, axed, I guess, as a result of the, some of the teachers that have been laid off over the last little while, I guess it's starting to resonate. The other thing, though, is uh, this is not a very popular provincial government, isn't it? And I guess they kind of look at them and say, you know what, it's their fault. Everything else is their fault. So this, this education kerfuffle must be their fault, too. Yeah, it's interesting that, you know, the government has had such a really difficult time off the hop in terms of getting uh, people on their side. I, it, it may go back to even, you know, the election where people were looking for something new and, and really they ended up getting something, you know, more of the old in terms of uh, people, you know, getting let go from jobs. There, there's uh, a, a lot of uh, uncertainty on the uh, federal uh, level with this government in Ontario um, so there, I think there's a lot of, of people that are frustrated with the government. So I, I, I think that's partly why the parents are siding with the teachers at this point. But again, if it comes down to it, you know, they're, you know, kids are out of school once a week or once every other week. I think we'll, we'll see that quickly change. Well, the other element to this, too, is, uh, I mean, the provincial government is still off on their quote unquote, you know, Christmas break. And it's what, another three weeks, I think, before they go back to work, isn't it? That's right. They go back in February, and, and one of the questions, I was at Queen's Park uh, speaking, uh, well, not speaking with Doug Ford, but Doug Ford held a press conference, and the Premier said that, uh, you know, he was asked about whether or not they would look at legislating teachers back to work, uh, which is all fine and good, even if he said that, you know, he would be open to it. Um, as it was, he said that it's a possibility, but he doesn't want to go down that route. The problem there, Bill, of course, is that you can't legislate anything unless you're actually sitting in the legislature. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, you know, three weeks away, um, and it's certain that, you know, the NDP won't uh, speed up that process at all. They won't uh, make it happen very quickly. So even if it were to happen, you're looking at at least, you know, two months before they, that might happen. Yeah, our, our friend Travis Danraj, of course, who covers Queen's Park for Global News, I mean, hasn't had a whole lot to do the last little while. I mean, cover a couple of press conferences, but that's about it. Uh, that inaction, I guess, is, is is a key factor in this. Uh, so what are students doing today? I mean, this is, this is a, a big deal. First of all, it's darn cold outside. Uh, and and obviously, the, you know, the, the, these guys have got to go somewhere. The kids have to go someplace. I guess some people probably took the day off work. You can't do that very often, though, can you? No, you can. And actually, you know, Global News has done quite a few stories talking about, you know, what your rights are uh, in terms of, you know, taking kids to work or taking a day off. I know uh, internally we've talked about, you know, if you can work from home, then do so. Uh, so there are a lot of options that are on the table. Uh, I'm actually at the Ontario Science Centre right now where they're holding uh, day camp today and tomorrow because, of course, the English Catholic teachers uh, across the province are on strike tomorrow. Um, where So the Ontario Science Centre is doing a, a day camp for the next couple of days at the very least in order to um, you know give parents a place to, to drop off their kids. Now, of course, that's the other part to this is the cost. You know, they're not doing it for free. Um, so that's another piece to this. You know, if you're, you know, a working parent who needs to drop off your kids someplace, you know, uh, how, how 
how much can you afford? And I think that that will play in all of this too. Dave, it's just a very unusual circumstance to, to have all of the unions all at one time without a contract and all of the unions angry at the government and doing these rotating strikes. I mean, there's nobody who has kids uh, who are school age that's not going to be impacted by this. Yeah, this hasn't happened since, what, the 1990s? I yeah. think this is a, a, a huge thing uh, that I think the government will want to finish up quickly. I don't think that they want a prolonged strike. Um, I think even though, you know, I, I think parents could turn on the teachers if it does become a prolonged strike, I still think the teachers have a little bit of leverage in the sense that, uh, like you said, you know, all the boards, right, or all the uh, unions are striking at the same time. So um, the government doesn't want this to, to last very long. I think that we'll see um, either, you know, some concessions being made or, or some negotiations happening probably fairly soon. Um, but uh, again, it's it's one of those things that right now the two sides are so far apart, we don't know when that's going to happen. Yeah, and of course there's a class size issue that we've talked about, and we're going to get some clarification on that in just a couple of minutes. But the other element, too, is, uh, and, and you and I have been in the business long enough to, to, to remind politicians, watch what you say because it can come back to bite you. And the, the, the quote that I keep hearing from a lot of the teachers that have called in over the last couple of weeks here, Dave, is uh, Rob Ford's assertion last year, remember, that not one person is going to lose their job because of all these changes he's going to bring in. And we know that didn't happen. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're throwing that right back at them right now, and they don't seem to have a response for it. No, and that's that's one, one of the big problems with uh, the government and the people is that the fact that uh, Premier Doug Ford, he really had um, a, lot of, a lot to say in that first year. He's kind of changed his tone in terms of how he approaches the media, how he speaks to people. I was saying last week uh, with Scott Thompson how it was interesting, how, you know, now it's kind of, like it was in years past when you go to a press conference kind of expecting uh, Doug Ford to say something different. Um, and now he's, you know, towing the party line. And I think um, that doesn't help him in terms of what he said in the past. It does help him, you know, strike a more conciliary tone with parents and, and with voters now. Uh, but he certainly is, you know, uh, eating a lot of his words for that first year. And obviously, as we've just discussed, it doesn't seem to be a light at the end of the tunnel. This is uh, probably going to go on for a little while yet to come. Uh, Dave, enjoy your day at the Science Center. <laughs> Not a bad assignment. <laughs> and great reporting on this, as always. Thanks for the time today, Dave. Thank you, Bill. Global News uh, Senior Reporter Dave Woodard, of course, uh, following the rotating elementary school strike, which is happening in the GTA and, of course, the Ottawa areas as well. Uh, and there's a schedule for those, and we'll keep you posted here on CHML News. Uh, the Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation is also involved, of course, in a series of one-day stoppages. Uh, there's another one, we're told, planned for sometime this week, uh, later in the week. Uh, of course, Harvey Bischoff is the president of the OSSTF. Uh, he joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show to give us an update on this. Morning, Harvey. How are you today? Okay, Bill. How are you? Good. This is a bad situation that seems to be getting worse. As I was just mentioning with uh, Dave Woodard from uh, Global News in Toronto, uh, all these unions all together uh, with one common goal here, and that's basically to create awareness, I guess. And and uh, and I was interested to hear Dave's comments about the secondary school teachers. Of course, you've been doing this for a little while, but even the elementary school teachers uh, with their strikes, uh, for the most part, an awful lot of the parents still seem to understand exactly what this is about. And uh, they think it's the government that has to take action, not the teachers. That's absolutely what we're finding, and we've been, uh, I mean, we've been trying not to go just on gut feeling here. We've been polling, we've been using a reputable polling firm, and, and overwhelmingly, by a significant margin, um, the public is telling us that 
they support the positions we have on the bargaining table. Um, when they're asked directly, do you think uh, that educators should accept the government's positions or fight on? Uh, overwhelmingly, they say we should we should fight on. Um, and and in general, uh, the public doesn't trust this government to look out for the interests of students. They turn to educators for that. So we're definitely seeing that, which is remarkable in times of where you know we know that that our action causes some. Um, some disruption, some distress for parents and students. We understand that. We've tried to manage it and balance it, but it's still a reality, and yet they're still supporting us. Uh, Heading offline discussion with uh, Charles Pascal, who is, of course, a former deputy minister of education. He's a teacher at the U of T right now, and uh, and he underscores this uh, with his comments. He was saying that, look at the support that the the teachers, all of you, seem to be getting for the majority of parents right now, uh, is all about class size. And he says parents are still up in arms about class size. And, and as you and I talked last week, uh, this is not the hypothetical. They've seen the impact of larger class sizes on their kids right now, and they don't, they don't like what they see. You bet. And, and it, it tells you that, I mean, it's something parents get at a gut level, and their, their, their children come home and tell them what it's like to be in a large class. Certainly we saw examples, because it's not just the fact that the classes are getting bigger, it's that the number of course options shrinks as uh, teaching positions are sent out the door as well. And so students couldn't get access to courses that they wanted or needed. Um, and so so all of those uh, effects are absolutely being felt. And, and, you know, when you consider the government's campaign that it would be so easy to cut money out of public budgets, it would have no impact. Nobody would feel anything. Well, people are absolutely feeling uh, the negative effects of this. This really seems to be part of a, an ongoing uh, agenda of this government to simply reduce costs by reducing staff and people. I mean, they certainly did that with government when they slashed the size of Toronto City Council arbitrarily, uh, much to the shock of everybody else. And, and they seem to be doing this one, too, by eliminating teaching positions. Yeah, and that's that's the opposite of an efficiency. An efficiency is is when you can deliver the same service at a, at a lower cost. And you know we've got some cost saving ideas that they could have used to reinvest money back into the education system. But on the you know what they're doing on the contrary is just decreasing the quality of education. Sure, it's cheaper to do it in the short run. What are the long term effects? What what is this going to cost the province? Cost individual students who don't have the same sort of opportunities cost the province's economy when we no longer have the same number of high-quality graduates ready to move into uh, post-secondary or skilled trades apprenticeships or, or the things that this, that this province absolutely needs. You know, if for anyone who's looking for a solution and for the, the, the both sides to get back to the bargaining table, uh, I'm, I'm a little concerned about the fact that, uh, Harvey, you, you guys don't even seem to be on the same page. I mean, you're talking about class size. Uh, you're talking about the mandatory e-learning and the negative impacts on that. Uh, and the fact that there's no substantive information from the government that either one of those programs is actually going to be effective. Uh, but for the minister, Mr. Lecce, is just talking about the greedy teachers wanting more money. It's, it's all about money. That's that's not even the issue as far as the teachers I've talked to are concerned. Uh, you know, I mean, it's it's still an issue that should be on the bargain table. It would be a very interesting conversation if they came to us uh, with proposals that didn't erode the quality of education uh, and then took a hard line on on compensation, but they they uh, haven't done that. But I mean, let's bear in mind, uh, Minister Lecce is a guy who honed his craft in the in the Harper Communications Department. He's a guy who was at the center of uh, the Mike Duffy Senate expenses scandal and various other things. Um, this is an exercise in spin on his part. Um, it bears no relationship to uh, what they're really doing to the education system. I'd like to see him just once answer the question. 
How do larger class sizes, how does mandatory e-learning, how does lock, loss of education workers who support kids with, uh, with uh, special needs and kids at risk, how do those things improve the quality of education? And when he can't answer those things, because there is no answer to those, um, then maybe it's you know time for him to reverse course. Is there any discussion at all about getting back and actually doing some bargaining instead of doing it through the media? Um, there, there, uh, you know, we, like I said, we're, we're still in the hands of the mediator. We're awaiting her invitation. We haven't gotten that invitation yet. I can only assume that means, um, that, uh, the government remains, uh, firmly attached to its agenda of eroding the quality of education. And that's been the Ford education agenda since it's almost a year ago now, going all the back, all the way back to March the 15th last year, when they announced their plan to cut thousands of education workers to cut one out of four teaching positions in the province to force this mandatory e-learning experiment on our students. Um, and and they're still firmly attached to that basic principle of eroding quality of education. But the contention from uh, Mr. Lecce is that you guys don't want to bargain, that, that, that you refuse to come to the table. That seems to be the assertion. Well, you know, we haven't we haven't received the inv- the invitation from the mediator to come back to the table, which tells me they're still stuck to their uh, highly problematic positions. Um, if, if, if you know, look, we offered, for example, to postpone our strikes if the government would simply commit to last year's staffing levels. The fact that that the minister claims to be laser focused on preventing strikes and yet can't commit to last year's staffing levels tells you that their agenda is is a firm, firm commitment to eroding the quality of education. Well, and the spin that's going on here, and this is the thing that bothers me, is, is you know, they're saying, and the Premier's mentioned this in the past as well, that the system needed a major overhaul. And I, I don't remember any of that conversation happening in the past. Uh, I mean, there have been some concerns about some of the, you know, the, the grade six math tests, and etc. But if you look at the broader picture, and, and I don't think the government's doing that, uh, the Ontario education system stacks up pretty well, not just nationally, but internationally. The, you know, the, the system always needs incremental improvements, and we've always been here to suggest incremental improvements. And, you know, my members are classroom practitioners of different kinds, education workers and teachers, who ha- always have good ideas. Nobody says the education is perfect. You know, the system is perfect. They always have good ideas for improving it. This government's going in the exact opposite direction. But, but you're absolutely correct. International testing, uh, and you know, it was only a few weeks ago that the last round of uh, PISA testing, the program for international student assessment, uh, was released. And again, we're we're near the top of the charts uh, in the world when it comes to the quality of our education system. Well, we'll see. Hopefully, the minister will get that message and at least get everybody back into the same room. And uh, that's it's not going to get solved until there's some discussion on this. And that's not happening this week anyway that we've heard of. Uh, Harvey, I know it's a busy day for you. Appreciate you taking some time for us today. My pleasure, Bill. Thank you. Harvey Bischoff, of course, who is the president of the Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation. Uh, and, and there's a lot of opinions. I understand that there are, when I say you know, there is parental support for this, it's not unanimous. If there are people that are still ticked off and, and that buy into the into the rhetoric from the government about this, about the teachers are just greedy and it's all about them, et cetera. But uh, uh, those that have kids in the system, especially in the elementary system, I think understand some of these concerns. And, and as I say, this is not in the abstract because now – you know, we're in, in halfway through a school year, really, and they've seen the impact of larger class sizes, and they've seen uh, the impact of some courses that they thought their kids should be taking, especially at high school, uh, to qualify for post-secondary education. And not all those courses are available to those students now, simply because of some of these decisions made by the government. 
So, ball's in their court. We'll see what they're going to do next. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. On Friday's program, uh, Hamilton Bulldog owner Micah Andlar was on our, our program. And uh, rather interesting discussion uh, with Mr. Andlar, as they always are. Uh, and, of course, the discussion was about the Lime Ridge Mall Arena proposal that he had pitched to a city council a couple of months before that. And uh, there was a staff report that uh, council dealt with last week that essentially said, to, uh, recommended rather, to take no action, which basically means forget about it, you know, throw that in the blue bin. Uh, that's that's political talk for this sort of thing. We also, on the program, of course, uh, heard from uh, the uh, vice president of uh, development at Cadillac Fairview that owned Lime Ridge Mall, uh, Wayne Barwise, who actually was on Scott Radley's show the night before uh, and was very pointed in his criticism of city council's decision. He took uh, umbrage uh, with some of the statistics that were in that staff report, and we'll get to those in just a couple of minutes. Uh, but uh, Mr. Andlar, uh, well, I guess if there's one way, word I could use to describe his his attitude uh, and his demeanor uh, on that Friday morning as we talked, it was uh, was disappointing. Because of this report, because of the the, the press, uh, I, I have had interest. I'm not going. I'll be totally transparent um, from uh, from outside, not too far away. Well, uh, so that raises the possibility, I think a lot of people were already aware of, the, that the hockey team might actually be looking for greener pastures, or at least a new arena anyway. Uh, we know there are at least a couple of other cities within the uh, the area here that, uh, that are expressing some sort of interest in that anyway. Uh, Mr. Adler also expressed some concern about some of the comments made by some city councillors, I guess, about him and about the proposal. Uh, one of the people that he uh, actually highlighted was uh, John Paul Danko, uh, the uh, city councillor for Ward 8, uh, Mr. Andlar suggesting that he was very disappointed in some of the things that, uh, that Councillor Danko had to say. Uh, so uh, we wanted to give uh, John Paul Danko an opportunity to respond to that, and uh, he joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to uh, give us his view on this. Uh, John Paul, thank you for the time. Good to have you with us today. Thanks for having me on, Bill. We had a great weekend of hockey at uh, the um, hometown hockey event in Ancaster. I know I was out at the rink uh, three times this weekend with my kids in house league. And it's a gorgeous, sunny winter day, so what better time to talk about hockey in Hamilton? Well, exactly. Uh, and let's talk about Junior A hockey, and let's talk about the Hamilton Bulldogs and where these guys are going to be playing uh, going forward. Uh, and and I'll, I'll get to your, uh, your your feelings about uh, Mr. Andler's comments about you in just a couple of seconds, but uh, the proposal itself, uh, a number of people, including, of course, the people from Cadillac Fairview, suggest that Council takes a, a harder look at this. What was what was your mindset uh, going into this vote where you basically decided to... to tell Mr. Andlar that you're not interested. Well, I see my job as the elected representative for Ward 8, which is kind of the west central mountain area of, of the city, um, is to look out for the, the interests of the taxpayers that elected me. Um, you know, earlier in your show, you had uh, um, uh, Larry DeAnion talking about the tax implications that we're looking at in the city of Hamilton. And uh, I see that as my primary responsibility is to make sure that the tax dollars that we are investing as a city uh, from our hard-earned uh, you know, tax dollars from our residents are invested well. So that, that's my primary interest when any proposal comes before us. And the fact is, is the proposal that was submitted by the Bulldogs Ownership Group and Cadillac Fairview would uh, have a total project cost of $139.5 million dollars. Uh, with a total taxpayer contribution of $109.5 million. And that, in any way you look at it, is a very significant uh, um, 
is a very significant contribution of the taxpayers of the, the Hamilton Mountain and, and the city in total. I find that interesting, though, because when I talked to Mr. Andler about this, uh, he was kind of scratching his head about this because there's been no negotiation. I don't know. Where did staff get these numbers from? All of uh, staff's and, and council's uh, evaluation is based on the proposal that we were submitted uh, from the Bulldogs and Cadillac Fairview. So staff went back, they've had discussions with the Bulldogs, they've had discussions with Cadillac Fairview, and they've done um, a fairly comprehensive financial evaluation of the proposal of the potential tax impacts and uh, really tried to assess what uh, what the implications to taxpayers are. And I, I think it's pretty clear that if you look at the financials here that this is not a tenable position for the taxpayers of the city of Hamilton to build a new arena on the mountain that primarily benefits pri- private business. Well, th- certainly there's going to be an uptake for private business, but as you know, John Paul, I mean, you, you, you know, you're maybe shiny, but you're not brand new. You've been in the business a long time. Uh, there's got to be some incentive for people to put private sector money into any project that you want. And here's a city that is dying for public-private partnerships, and you're looking for people to invest in the city right now. And you've got a, a hockey owner who's willing to put $30 million of his own money onto the table. Uh, you've got Cadillac Fairview, which is willing to give you the land to, to build an arena on here, build it right here. Uh, that sounds like it's a saving for taxpayers. I mean, at some point, you, we as taxpayers are going to have to foot the bill for at least part of this or to renovate or do whatever you're going to do with First Ontario Centre. Well, I think we need to step back to the original terms of why we went down the road of looking at our sports and entertainment venues in the first place. In Council's mandate, the direction that we've given the staff is to look at development opportunities with no taxpayer capital investment. That means no taxpayer dollars going into any project, whether it's downtown or on the mountain or anywhere. We're strictly uh, limited to uh, land and um, development on that property. Now, the First Ontario Centre is property that we own, so those are opportunities that exist on that site. When we're talking about the mountain proposal at Lime Ridge Mall, the Cadillac Fairview isn't going to give the city that property. They're, they're letting us lease it for a dollar a year over 20 years. So while the city would build and uh, maintain the capital expenses of anything that we built there, the arena and the parking garage, uh, Cadillac Fairview would maintain ownership of the land. And again, it comes back to what, what were the terms of the original proposal. Um, the city would still be responsible for the life cycle capital maintenance. They'd be re- we'd be responsible for the initial, the vast majority of the initial construction costs. And of course, we want to develop business in the city. Um, I'd say the single biggest problem that we have as a municipality is the uh, the reliance on our residential tax base. And uh, anything that we can do to promote commercial business and commercial development is, is of course, a good thing. But in this case, Cadillac Fairview, I mean, they're a $32 billion multinational corporation. Uh, they have the finances available, the resources available to, to redevelop Lime Ridge Mall any way that they want. The zoning is already in place for them to do that. So, I mean, to suggest that they require a very significant taxpayer investment to redevelop their own property, um, I think is, is, 
in my opinion, again, is, is not in the best interest of the taxpayers of the city of Hamilton uh, and the Hamilton Mountain. They're also the largest taxpayer in this uh, community. I understand the, the the burden on residential taxpayers. Believe me, I do. Uh, living in Ancaster, I, I, it takes a bite out of my check every week. I get that. Uh, but when you've got an opportunity like this, do you not explore all options? Or is this a city council that just as as tunnel vision and it's going to be downtown or nowhere? That seems to be the attitude. No, and I think that's my, my biggest frustration here is that we, we've kind of lost sight of what the, the financial aspects of the proposal are, and it's turned into a debate of mountain versus downtown. And that is absolutely not the case. Um, if the finances were there, if this proposal worked and was in the best interest of Ward 8 taxpayers, I'd be the first one in line to move, move mountains and oceans to make this happen. Um, and I, I think that's the role that council has here is to make sure that we are um, promoting development, promoting growth through zoning and making sure that permissions are in place. It's not to you know cut a check to private business again. And in this case, the, the financial aspect of this proposal, again, is not in the best interest of the taxpayers. Somebody's going to have to pay this, and somebody's going to have to, to underwrite at least part of the cost of this. I mean, uh, what, I, what I, I guess I'm frustrated about here, John Paul, is, is that I don't see another proposal here. I mean, uh, there's nobody else stepping up here unless you've got something in your back pocket that you're not telling the citizens about. Well, just before we had an update on the, the Bulldogs uh, proposal, the, the item on the agenda prior to that was an update on the uh, First Ontario Centre and uh, sports and entertainment venues, and there's a report back on February 5th with some uh, further information on that. So this is not the only option for uh, an update to our sports and entertainment venue. And again, when we initially set this out, the fact is we have First Ontario Centre, the Convention Centre, and Ontario Place, uh, the uh, Concert Hall, all three of those are together in in the downtown sports and entertainment precinct, and we are looking at development opportunities that take away that subsidy that we're paying every year for these uh, venues and uh, really benefit the taxpayer. That's the, the redevelopment that we're trying to uh, to promote in the city, and we do have an uh, an update coming back in February on just that. But listen, I, I, let's let's be frank here. Uh, you've got a tired old arena that's over 30 years old, and we already know that's a long, long list of things that are falling apart in that. The convention center has proved to be too small and too ineffective. At some point, you're going to have to spend a whole whack of capital dollars or just forget about it and lose business. I mean, this this idea that you don't want to have any impact on taxpayers, of course there's going to be an impact on taxpayers. If you're going to pump money into an arena that, that, that maybe nobody's even going to be playing hockey in, uh, that's going to cost us an awful lot of money, too. I mean, we're looking for efficiency here, but at the same time, we're looking for progress. Yes, uh, and again, the, the mandate that staff were given was um, no capital investment, strictly uh, looking at development opportunities. Yeah, but that's the same thing you said about the LRT, too, you know, that as long as it doesn't cost Hamilton taxpayers a nickel. Uh, that, that's, that's naive to suggest that there's not going to be a cost when you have mega projects like this of any kind. No, I, I don't think so. I think we have some very valuable valuable assets that there are a number of parties very interested in looking at as uh, as redevelopment opportunities. So with that in mind, then, you, you, you don't have a problem then kissing off the, the Bulldogs, and if they go to another community, too bad, so sad, as far as you're concerned. No, I, I think that's a huge concern for everybody in the city of Hamilton, and it's. I think 
everybody on council recognizes that the tremendous value that the Bulldogs bring to the cultural and, and entertainment um, opportunities for the city of Hamilton. Um, having those opportunities here are part of what makes Hamilton an attractive city to live. And if you're a hockey fan, uh, you know, I, I totally understand and, uh, and, you know, why people want to have those assets here. So it's, it's not an uh, it's not a in either or. It's not that we're saying. You well, know, it kind of is right. from Mr. Kleinler's comments. I mean, he says he's going to start looking at other options, uh, and I know there are other communities. I mean, we we run the risk right now of of losing him, losing the the only anchor tenant. And by the way, as I'm sure you're aware on council, uh, he owns the territorial rights for hockey in this area. So if he moves the team, I mean, the, to suggest that somebody else is just going to come in and fill that gap, it's not going to be a junior A team. It's certainly not going to be an American Hockey League team, and it sure as hell is not going to be the NHL. So, you know, what are you going to do with it? I mean, you may throw some money into First Ontario Center, but if nobody's going to play hockey there, you don't have a major tenant. Are you really that far ahead? Well, if you, again, if you look at the finances for First Ontario Center, it's the concerts and events that are the major money makers. Um, in just nine major concerts in 2018, um, those nine major concerts made over a million dollars, which is significantly more than what hockey brings in. The, the value that hockey brings to the city of Hamilton is, is more of the cultural aspect, and it's also as the anchor tenant to keep uh, you know, the lights on in that building on a day-to-day basis. So, of course, we're, we want to work with Mr. Anlauer and the, and the Bulldogs, and, uh, and any other proponents that might be interested in the use of First Ontario Centre and wherever the arena may be. Um, but, you know, the idea that we have to, again, um, you know, it's either one or the other that they're going to leave town if they don't get what they want. I, I think that's not a negotiating position that I'm willing to enter into anyway. Well, that's not even a negotiation. Listen, this guy has been more than patient. He's dumped an awful lot of his own money into that tired old building on his own because city council dragged their heels on it. Uh, I can understand his frustration in a situation like this. He's a very successful businessman, but he's not stupid. He, he didn't become successful by, by you know throwing his money around, uh, throwing away at bad ideas. And by the way, it, 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 the cultural aspect is part of this too, but you're also losing a guy who has dumped a lot of money, of his own t- money, uh, into in philanthropic a- a- episodes here, I mean with the Bulldogs Foundation. Uh, <laughs> He sounded quite angry. He did not like the attitude of city council. He specifically tar, uh, highlighted you with some of the comments that you made about his proposal, and he felt about him personally. Uh, that's not the sort of attitude, and that's not the sort of way that city council of any kind is going to attract per investment if you're going to treat people like that the way that Mr. Andlar felt he was treated. Well, Mr. Andlar and, and the Bulldogs' ownership, they have a job to do, and that's to represent their financial interests in the team. And... Uh, and the same with Cadillac Fairview. Their, their, their job is to represent their financial interests. Again, I see my job as the elected representative for Ward 8 is to represent the taxpayers the best I can. And the simple fact is, is the proposal that we were provided with is not in the best interest of the taxpayers. Um, you know, if, if we took out the parking garage, which is one aspect that I really can't make sense of, an 1,800-car parking garage, in the middle of a parking lot that already has uh, over 4,000 parking spots, $52 million in expenses, this proposal would make a whole lot more financial sense, but that's not what was provided to us. Um, and so we have an opportunity and, and, the, and an obligation to 
um, evaluate on what was uh, put before us. And, and the fact is, it's not in the best interest of taxpayers. Well, I'll uh, have you back on the program when the city council tells us how much they're going to be pulling capital investments on that arena downtown. Uh, Jay, we've got to break it off right now. I appreciate your time today, John Paul. Thanks so much. That's uh, John Paul Danko, of course, the counselor for Ward Aid. By the way, uh, the parking garage thing was one of the things that uh, uh, that uh, Mr. Barwise from Cadillac Fairview highlighted. He told me on Friday, and he told Scott Riley uh, last week as well, that uh, the city's estimates for the cost of the parking garage are totally out to lunch. Uh, this is a guy from Cadillac Fairview that knows about this stuff. They build these sorts of things. And uh, I guess the thing that I'm concerned about is uh, the lack of expertise uh, to do with arenas, to do with all sorts of things from city staff and certainly from city council when they make wrong-headed decisions. Uh, as example, uh, from Alexis here says, how much bloody taxpayer dollars will it take to develop a downtown arena in First Ontario Place? Uh, Councillor Danko is pushing hockey pucks if he thinks anybody believes there will be no taxpayer dollar in any mega project like that. Naive, dumb, and running the city back into the ground. Uh, that seems to be the theme of an awful lot of the comments we've heard since Council's decision. And we're stuck with it, Hamilton taxpayers. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.